This is IIM Innovation in Motion. My name is Lydia Kincaid. I'm the Managing Director and we have Lee Harris. He's our Managing Member. Um, today, we are going to talk with you all about early stage investing and how we provide support to our portfolio companies. IIM invests typically at the seed to series A stage in three verticals, agriculture, animal health, and human health. And what we often see with these early stage companies is that the founder or the current CEO has a great vision and a great idea for where the company can go, but maybe doesn't have all of the details fleshed out about how to turn their idea into a full-on business um, that can su succeed and be sustainable over time. So something that's really important to us when it comes to portfolio support um, actually starts in the due diligence process, um, where we look at things such as company governance um, and even their articles of incorporation, uh, many, many details um, that most investors maybe don't take a close look at. Um, but we do find that to be really important and really enlightening when we're trying to understand more closely and more in depth the company that we're investing in. Lee, maybe you can share with our audience as we um, scratch the surface here, and then we'll get into more details later. But why, why for us as an early stage investment platform, um, should even supporting port company portfolio companies be of interest. A lot of investors, you know, write a check um, and then they you know, cross their fingers and, and say, thanks a lot for your time. And we take a different approach. Maybe Lee, you can share with our audience what our approach is. Our approach, I think, is one of de-risking uh, our investment. Uh, again, at this early stage seed to, to series A stage, it's the riskiest time generally in a, uh, the life of an early stage company. And so everything we can do to de-risk or support the company in such a way that it's going to succeed, obviously, is good for us where our investment's concerned. We're protecting our investment. And I think that that's been borne out to a great extent. Right now, we have uh, 32 investments in 22 companies. We've had one exit so far, and this is all since 2015, actually. We've had one exit, a nice exit in the ag space. And we think we'll have one failure. Uh, maybe by the end of this year, we've been told that one of our portfolio companies will probably wrap it up unless they've been successful in selling their business or their IP. That's an amazing track record. I'm bragging on our, our success here. But one of the reasons for that, I think, is the fact that uh, we have been supportive of our portfolio companies at this early stage through a number of ways. One is the domain expertise that we bring to uh, these three verticals. Our investor group is composed of uh, domain experts in ag, in animal health, in human health, that we don't do pharma. Uh, so that helps immensely that we don't have to find uh, someone with that level of, of uh, human health expertise. But uh, we we do find that as we interview and and vet uh, founders uh, in these verticals, they they seem to be very interested in tapping into this domain expertise and the knowledge that our investor group uh, has. Uh, and in fact, we've had members of the investor group uh, help in a consulting fashion or even on the board of directors of, of some of these companies. So uh, a lot, lot of early stage platforms 
play the field. They invest a little bit of money here and a lot of money there, and they generally don't have the domain expertise. They don't do the level of due diligence that we do. And so from our standpoint, we're different because we de-risk this way. And part of that whole de-risking process is just what I said. It's it's providing a level of support that protects our investment. That's right. And I, I like how you put that in terms of de-risking because there's never going to be zero risk with these investments. And you also mentioned these are very high risks, actually. Um, but we are managing that risk by being very selective about the companies that we invest in and staying very closely um, in contact with them throughout the lifetime of our investment. Uh, one thing I want to mention is during our due diligence process, which I alluded to earlier, and you mentioned also, um, we look really closely at a company's board of directors. And while sometimes IIM does have the opportunity to have a board director role or board observer role, um, we want to see, even before we invest, that the company has already established some sort of board of directors so that there is oversight um, to the decisions being made by that CEO or co-founder team. Um, we want to see that there's a good support system in place, but also that there's some checks and balances, um, that there's some way to monitor money that's being spent, salaries that are being um, provided to the team, um, compensation as a whole. One of the ways that we do that um, is by being involved with the board of directors and specifically putting together um, a governance committee, if you will. We see that in several of our portfolio companies um, and how they've structured their board of directors. We think it's really important to have specifically that governance committee to oversee um, not specifically the board of directors, but to oversee the general happenings of the company um, have approval rights when it comes to compensation and stock allowances or the company granting stock to um, team members um, or advisors. Um, there's different ways that stock might be allocated um, by the on the company's behalf. So we think that's really important, especially um, now any investor now has been seeing what's going on with FTX and just essentially billions of dollars that have evaporated. And we sit here, we ask, well, how can that happen when so many really smart investors had participated in that company um, over a series of investment rounds? And you just, I, I think sometimes people forget how things can get carried away so quickly. Um, and even investors can just not provide the right type of oversight that's needed. Um, and so when we go into an investment deal, we never expect things to go downward or south or there to be anything going on like there was with FTX. Um, but we think that strong governance and strong checks and balances prevents that from being an issue to begin with. Lee, what do you think? Yeah, I, let's talk about a board of directors for a moment, because uh, a lot of the early stage companies we see don't have boards of directors. And I'm talking about a real board of directors. Uh, sometimes there's a loose uh, advisory type of board or council, and that's all fine. But really, uh, it should not be seen as a negative for a founder at the very earliest stage to put together a real board with with real roles and accountabilities. And uh, we've seen boards as small as three people uh, that are insiders, 
that's not a real board. A real board would be uh, at least, I'd say, five people. There should be five, a minimum of five on a board. You don't want a, a big board, but you want five people, of which at least two are outsiders. A lot of founders are concerned about giving up control at that very early stage and losing uh, the ability to make their decisions. Uh, that's the wrong way to look at this. Again, you can maintain control if uh, if you have a three to two vote. Let's just put it that way. There are other ways to do this with super super shares, and and we won't get into all of that. But the the idea is to get some outside perspective, uh, and uh, really, you if as if you're a founder, you should want what I call a hurt me board. <laughs> These are people outsiders that will come in and challenge your thinking and the decisions that you want to make. And they're not going to be yes men or women. They are going to absolutely be uh, looking out for the best interest of the company, not necessarily your best interest, but the best interest of the company, which in turn will help your interest as well as your investor interest. So, uh, and again, advisory boards are okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you set yourself up at the very earliest stage with a real board of directors and you operate in that kind of an environment, you have a much greater chance to succeed in later stage fundraising. Uh, because if you don't have a, a, a real board of directors now at Seed or Angel uh, or even Series A, by golly, you will have one when it comes to some of these later funding rounds. And it's better to have it set up and, and know how to operate early than it is to, to, to have that Series B or Series C lead investor say, here's what you're going to do. And you don't have any choice at that point. That's right. Um, and I think the most effective boards that I've been involved with do have really healthy discussions at every board meeting um, about various topics related to the strategic direction of the company or sales efforts or even marketing and branding or bringing on a new team member um, or somebody in the C-suite. Um, I think it's important to not have just everybody who thinks the same way, like you were saying, Lee, um, people who are outside the company um, and probably at least two investors in the company um, who are representing the investor interests as well. Um, but you really don't need to get lopsided either way. There needs to be a good balance across the board. Um, and Lee, you're right. Um, if, if there's no board of directors, then that later stage investor um, will require a board of the directors and they'll put everybody in place that they want. And so mm -hmm. at that point, then the CEO really has a minimal amount of control um, and things can get, you know, shifted really quickly in that sense. Lee, you want to add well, something? Yeah, sure. The The other thing that is, I talk about a real board of directors and, and you ought to have real board meetings uh, on a regular basis with real agendas and minutes that are are maintained for from the decisions that are made uh, and, and get in the practice of operating in that kind of an environment as early as you can. And when you do that. Uh, good decisions will be made. The right decisions will be made. Uh, we have uh, some examples, uh, unfortunately, in our own portfolio where companies have have a board, but they don't operate uh, properly in one case. And we won't name names, but in one case, uh, some decisions were made about valuation. Uh, decision was made outside of the board meeting. 
And uh, Lydia, you had had board observer rights for this company and you weren't aware of it. And all of a sudden uh, we're being told that uh, that some additional funding is being sought at a lower valuation cap. And we're saying, wait a minute, we didn't know that. Uh, when was that decision made? And it turns out it was done outside of a board meeting. So I think that uh, not just having a board, a real board, but having that board operate uh, it, it, with complete transparency and even Robert's rules of order, if you will, uh, that should be followed. And, and uh, don't make uh, key decisions uh, in a sort of an ad hoc way. That should be done in a documented way through the formal board uh, meeting. Right. And board meetings can be scheduled a year out. That's also how the boards that I'm involved with that are the most organized and the most effective. Um, we have regularly scheduled board meetings. So they're not just put together at the last minute. We see an agenda ahead of time. We see a full slide deck ahead of time. Everybody has a little bit of homework to do so that we can all come prepared to the board meeting and with topics to discuss and questions to ask. Yeah, um, yeah. And I really, I, I think this could really be a missed opportunity Um for CEOs and or founders who don't have a board of directors because they'd be missing out on a lot of wisdom. Um, there's there's something to be said for everyone to have their interests aligned um, in helping the company succeed. So not just the investors, not just the founder, um, but the whole company needs to succeed Um and, and I think that the best decisions can be made when you have different perspectives there and everyone has the company's best interests at heart. Um, right. Is there anything Lee, you want else you want to well, add? Well, I want to I I add, uh, we're talking about supporting our portfolio companies. And another, another thing that we do uh, from a uh, support standpoint is we require our portfolio companies to report to us on a quarterly basis certain key metrics. And... Uh, most professional venture capital uh, firms will have this kind of requirement. It may not be seen as much at the the seed uh, and, and angel stage, but uh, it is something that we ask. And why do we do that? Well, obviously, we want the information to know what the, the run rate is and what the customer acquisition cost is and the customer, uh, customer acquisition cost payback. Uh, you know, how much cash is in the bank, that sort of thing. But it's also an accountability. Uh, early, early stage founders need to be held accountable. And uh, again, it's smart to do this as early as possible, where there's a, a third party, in, the, in our case, we're the investor uh, holding that founder accountable, because guess what? In the, those later stages, again, the later stage fundings, uh, there will be some serious accountability and there will be some serious requirements. And there may be milestone funding uh, provisions that uh, you're raising $5 million and you get a million and a half of it when you meet this threshold and another million and a half when you meet another threshold. That's serious accountability. Why not at this very early stage start learning that accountability? And we're not just asking for this information uh, for accountability. It's a benefit that we think that the founder gets, but also it can point out issues on a quarterly basis that we might be able to help with. So if if we see that uh, there's a sales conversion 
issue. We can help dig into uh, the process of, of sales to find out, okay, what could we do differently before this gets out of hand? If we only hear about this annually, uh, that. It, it may be too late, but if on a quarterly basis, we start to see a trend on some metric that uh, is cause for alarm, <clears throat> we can raise our hand and say to the founder, let us help you. And we do that. Uh, and maybe it's bring in one of the domain experts to, to look at a particular technical problem or uh, whatever the case might be. But uh, again, from a founder support standpoint, uh, these quarterly metrics, and they're not that many of them, and it shouldn't take that long to, to prepare. And uh, if you don't know these metrics, then you're failing as a founder because they're important metrics to understand. And I would say that most of our portfolio companies have pretty robust KPI dashboards of their own, that they are tracking various metrics that are important to their business. Um, and then for most of them, it's just a matter of completing our form, which is you know, nine or 10 cells on an Excel table. It's really not complicated, but it helps us see our whole portfolio um, comparing the same metrics quarter over quarter and being able to see what trends that we can identify. And it helps our investors understand the progress of companies as well, um, because the most likely outcome for the companies that we invest in is that before they exit, they will probably need to raise more funding. Um, most companies, we are not going to be the last investor in a company. And so by having this constant communication with us and us in turn with our investors, that really helps another fundraising round work a lot more smoothly um, when we're not just wondering what's going on with the company. Because when you wonder, usually the assumption is something's going wrong. Well, why aren't they telling us what their revenue is? Why aren't they telling us what their burn rate is? Why aren't they telling us if they're meeting their projections? Um, that leaves a lot of questions in the air that could be unfounded, really, if there's, if there's no reason to be concerned about those things. So it really is a, a great communication piece, I think, for our founders to be relaying that to us. And for that next investor, they're going to ask for all those things. So if as a founder, you're not tracking those metrics, you really need to be, um, not just for us, but for the future funders as well, who will demand that. And then how much harder will it be to go back in time and try to repopulate all of this information um, just to share it with an next sure. investor? You know, I would also say that uh, as you, uh, and again, I'm directing this comment to founders, as you interact with your funding uh, sources, the, the last thing in the world we want is for you to wear rose-colored glasses. So we, we want you to be optimistic. We don't want you to be pessimistic. We want to see eternal optimism. Well, there needs to be some reality there. But things aren't going to always work the way they're supposed to. In fact, if they do work the way they're supposed to all the time, that will be one of the most rarest uh, occasions ever. Uh, and... What we get tired of is hearing from a founder, everything is wonderful. And we've we've got, you know, these new customers, we have one particular company that about every other day we get these uh, emails announcing another new customer. Well, this is a delusional uh, founder uh, because these customers are worth I'm going to make this up, but they're worth $27 and 57 cents. Uh, that's an exaggeration, but uh, th th this company is so far off track uh, that uh, these announcements are fluff. Uh, 
if they were to say, we have a new customer that's going to produce $30,000 of annual recurring revenue, now that's something we like to hear. But knowing that there's a whole array of little bitty customers is really not doing us a whole lot of good. And uh, I think the, the founder is deluding himself or herself in thinking that uh, they're making big progress because they're way off plan. They they've they moved out of that enterprise model into these smaller uh, customers. And uh, again, the the message here is don't uh, don't play the the happy drum all the time. There are problems. Be transparent with your uh, funding sources and say, hey, I've got an issue here. Maybe you can help me with this particular issue, whether it's marketing, whether it's technical, whatever. We just don't want to constantly hear the rose-colored glasses kind of spiel uh, because we know there's more behind the scenes. That's right. We've been doing this long enough and seen enough companies go through these growing pains um, that we know it's not going to go as planned. And we understand that even before we invest. Um, so while we like to see some wonderful revenue projections, we still want them based in reality um, and we still want them to be achievable um, so that when we track these over time, we can share with our investors, you know, the company said they were going to do X, they achieved Y, and here's how they'll get back on track. Um, we, we'd like to have that that type of uh, intimate knowledge about what a company is doing um, and how they're able to make changes moving forward. Um, another way that we support portfolio companies is making introductions to other investors. Um, between Lee, between you and I and our principal, Nicholas Hentz, um, we've really built a pretty big network of investors, not only in our verticals that we focus on, but across the spectrum of other, other verticals and industries as well. So what we like to be able to do for our portfolio companies is introduce them to other investors, maybe who could lead their next round of financing or syndicate with other investors or invest or introduce them to more investors. Um, since again, most of our companies will continue to raise more funding after we invest, um, we think it's really important to continue to make warm introductions to people in our network, um, especially investors who can provide a lot of value to these early stage companies. Um, Lee, what other types of value would you like to share with our audience? Yeah, I, not only what you just shared, but uh, with investors, but perhaps even uh, companies that could help provide an exit uh, for a a company. There again, we have so much domain expertise and so many relationships uh, throughout these uh, three verticals in the industries that uh, are in those verticals. Uh, that it's very possible. Not only are we able to. Uh, to help make those introductions for investors. But eventually, when it comes time for the exit, perhaps the, the acquirer is in our relationship stable and we're able to help with that as well. So, uh, yeah, that's that's so key. And if you're if, if you're a founder and you're looking for funding, uh, pay attention and ask the questions about what we're discussing today. Uh it's, it's it isn't just about taking the money and and uh, and, and going on about your business, but uh, it, this is a part a true partnership uh, that we're trying to structure here, and we're just not interested in writing a check and sitting back and and going along for the ride. We want to be there helping you solve problems and and perhaps spot issues before they become big problems. 
That's right. Uh, and I, I would encourage founders to really think long and hard about even raising outside capital. If the thought of a board of directors and this additional oversight and accountability makes you nervous or it's something that you don't have any interest in, um, then your business probably is not fit to be a venture backed business. There's going to be a lot of accountability along the way. Um, some people like to start their own business because they want to be their own boss. Well, that's that's one way of looking at it. Um, however, once you start growing a company, you're going to have a lot of bosses um, and it's, it's not just a free for all. Um, so you do have to be willing to give up some of that, you know, maybe what some people call freedom um, in order to really get the most value out of your company and really grow it to new heights. Um, Lee, is there anything else? I think we covered a lot today. No, I think that uh, you know, the, the whole idea here is uh, have a real board, uh, be prepared to work with your funding platform, your funding sources uh, in a partnership manner. Uh, don't just try to serve up uh, all is well with the world when we know there are issues and we'd like you to share those with us as well. So transparency, I guess, is where I'm headed with that. And uh, uh you know that that's that's what we do anyway. Is is look for ways we can support our portfolio companies. That's right. Agree with everything you said, Lee. Thanks a lot for your time, and thanks everyone for listening.